Hello and welcome to The Age Stage, a program that looks at issues and matters affecting older Australians, made possible by Aftercare Australasia and our new sponsors, Australian Unity. I'm Paula Dunn and joining me today is Brendan Telfer. Welcome, Brendan. Yes, thank you very much indeed, Paula. Good to be back. Thank you very much indeed for the invite. You had a good break? I had a lovely break. Thank mm-hmm. you very much indeed. Yes, I went out to Fiji, did a little bit of work out there. Mm-hmm. A lot of older Australians out in Fiji, you know. Yes. Yeah, what would be an average age on, a, well, on reckon, an island? Yeah, such well, as they, they, Fiji? They, Fiji caters very well for um, a younger families. A lot yeah. of families out there, of course, with real lilies, because yeah. um, it's very safe and uh, very hospitable. Mm-hmm. And older Australians as well seem to enjoy mm. their time out there. The other interesting destination we we maybe should do something about this yeah. is Vanuatu as well, okay. which has got some fantastic medical facilities which people like, and the fact that Vanuatu and Fiji are within a few hours flying time of Australia as well. So there are quite a few retirees out there. Yeah, that'd be it interesting quite, to look at be, overseas. Yeah, and I think we better go on location and do that. We better. I reckon that's a great <laughs> idea. Back, I'm back, in. I'm in. <laughs> back to the coral coast. <laughs> <laughs> so, joining us on the program today is Phil from Bikers, and he's he's Bikers. Yeah, well, basically, Phil is part of the Wanderers Bikers yeah, Club, okay. and they're going to be running a big uh, Christmas initiative up and down the Mornington Peninsula, so we're getting a little bit local with Phil today. Yeah. He's, he's coming along a little bit later on. Yeah, and we're also going to be talking about t- talking to Tim Hessel um, about uh, the study that he's done on ageism and yes. uh, age in the workplace. Interesting. Yeah, in his, uh, his sort of, sort of mid-50s, he's found, found himself out in the workplace again, yes. what to do. Yep was sort of knocking on a few doors, mm. getting nowhere, and decided to go back to university yeah. and made a study of it. Yes. And uh, the conclusions aren't too good. Mm. It's, you know, drink more wine. More wine, but also, <laughs> and I think maybe uh, reinvent yourself. But Tim, yeah, a little bit absolutely. later on, he's got a great story to tell, hasn't he? But first, our regular visitor, Warren Haynes from Aftercare Australasia. Welcome, Warren. G'day. I'm happy to be here. I, ch- I chimed in before I couldn't resist the urge of <laughs> hearing about a possible overseas trip. It sounds marvellous. Well, let's take it on. On the road, yeah, shall we? Why not? You know, oh, aftercare Australasia. You know, yeah. we'll, oh yes, we'll talk. Generous Shane. host. We'll have a talk to the boss. Yeah, have, have, a, the boss. have a talk to Fiji Water. See if we can get a few people on site. And so, Warren, for, you're going to talk today about some different topics, but also about home care package providers and and steps in changing. It's a bit confusing, one, isn't it? I mean, for a few Very people and what's happening and where we're going with all this. So, what is going on? What's what's it? Well. You know, I, I think I think one of the things that that it's worth uh, giving people a little bit of information about is is just those steps around how you do change because the the big thrust with the the um, you know the recent relatively recent changes overall to the way in which home care packages are funded and delivered is meant to be all about giving people more choice, but mm. often people are reluctant to sort of take that step because they worry about. It disrupting the supports that they've currently got in place. They worry about offending offending people that that you know might work for the company that's providing them with the support. Who you know, there's there's often even if they're perhaps not totally satisfied with the services, there's often individuals that they are quite fond of and mm. who do you know are doing a good job or mm. are doing the job that they're looking for. Um, and so you know they worry about pe- people taking offence and. It's it's a little bit of a truism that that some of our some of our older um, older population are a little bit you know a little bit politer perhaps than the younger generation and and you know don't like to complain they 
they just you know prefer to just make do and unfortunately what can happen is you know they, they leave themselves at a real disadvantage. Is, is there mm. some hesitancy associated with cost as well? They're perhaps fearful that if they made a change there might be some sort of penalty or some sort of extra impost that they're not you know, aware of or yeah, could yep. be surprised by. Yeah, look, sometimes that's an issue and that, that's certainly one of the things that people should uh, inform themselves about if they're thinking about the fact that they're not entirely happy. So there's a couple of things people should do. One, one is if you're not entirely happy with, with the support you're getting, but you have been happy in the past, first thing I'd recommend you do is have a talk to mm, your provider. Communicate. Because it may just simply be that for whatever reason, your needs have changed a little bit um, or you know the, the people that are involved in providing your support have changed a little bit over time and there's just a bit of a disconnect there and mm. you perhaps just need to put your hand up and say, you know, I'm a customer, I'm, I'm here too, <laughs> this isn't quite working for me. And often that'll fix things. So mm. I'd very strongly encourage people to do that. But if it's not working, yeah, then you need to go back to the paperwork, unfortunately, mm. and have a bit of a look. Um, mm. there, there is an allowance in the current system for providers to charge an exit fee. Now, lots of providers don't um, take up that option. Aftercare, for example, we, we don't charge exit fees. I think I've said before, you know, if, if people aren't finding that our supports are matching their needs, why would we want to stand in the way of them going and finding a provider who is going to provide their mm. needs? So that's one thing you want to check on. So as a provider, Warren, do you do reviews? Do you do like uh, impromptu reviews of how happy pet your, your clients are? Yeah, look, there's, there's a number of ways, Paula, that, that that's uh, meant to occur. So there's a couple of formal processes. Um, so for most uh, aged care um, recipients, that's the that's a technical term for mm -hmm. the for the people at home that get the support. Uh, they're meant to, at a minimum, have a formal review of mm -hmm. their services and how the plan's going uh, once a year. Now that's a that's a very long time between drinks if, yeah, if things are changing. Yes. Um, yeah. For people on a higher level package, that's meant to occur every six months. Yeah. Um, so they're, they're the sort of formal mechanisms. Some providers, and again, we do this, um, will also do um, feedback surveys or mm -hmm. questionnaires to just get a general sort of, you know, finger on the pulse where hopefully uh, the reason you do those processes is people may not feel strongly enough about something to sort of speak up for fear, again, for fear of complaint. So how do you monitor that? How do you survey? Mm. How do you go about... Oh, well, so what we do is we you just do it the, the old-fashioned way, which is, you know, um, get Turn together up. a yeah, paper a paper survey and we post oh, okay. it out to everyone and mm -hmm. we have that go back to an independent consultant. Good who, uptake? I mean, do people respond? Yeah, yeah you'd, you'd be surprised. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's something that it's relatively new to us mm. um, in terms of working this way. Um, but yeah, look, I think we did one uh, probably four or five weeks ago, as a matter of fact, and I think the response was something in the order of about 40% of people came back with, with mm -hmm. some sort of answer. And, you know, we've got some general questions and some areas that we think are reflective of the quality of the services that we're putting in. Mm. But people can put their own specific comments in there too about things that they're not happy about. It's a bit of a problem with surveys though, isn't it? Sometimes yeah. some people have a propensity to fill them out ad nauseum <laughs> yes. and other people tend to be a little bit reticent and yeah. oh, don't have time for that. You know? Yeah, that's why yeah. I wonder if it would be better to turn up in, in person and have a chat 
mm. you know, have a standard, of course you'd have a standard gr- group of questions that mm. you'd ask, but, mm. uh, you know, be there in person. You can, l- you know, you can judge a lot from body language, uh, yeah, you know, sure. how a person's doing. Uh, yeah. What we do around that, you know, in, in terms of that direction is we very much try and develop a culture so it's not about having, speci- um, you know, just relying on a process. Mm-hmm. But it's about having a culture where we regularly and routinely and repeatedly invite feedback. Mm. So we're not necessarily saying to people, you know, tell us what we're doing wrong, Mm. Um, although often that is what you tend to hear about. Mm. Um, You know, Mm that tends to motivate people to Mm. speak up. Um, But it's very much about saying, you know, right from day one, we want to hear if you're not entirely satisfied or you think that there's areas that we could be doing things better in terms of meeting your needs, Mm please let us know. And that, mm-hmm. that's one of the reasons why for any new um, clients to come our way, I actually go out in person as a general manager mm. and specifically meet with them yeah. as part of that introductory process. And specifically to say, you know, I, I actually uh, will say to people as part of that meeting, uh, the reason I come out is because I'm where the buck stops mm. in terms of any more serious complaints mm. automatically get managed up to me, but also we review even the minor complaints that mm-hmm. we get about people you know running five minutes mm-hmm. late or missing a shift well it's not a minor one necessarily but mm-hmm. you know running running late or perhaps not doing the task exactly mm-hmm. as they've been requested or perhaps we've sent someone unfamiliar without letting the person know because it was an emergency those things but but we actually have again an independent consultant yeah. who tracks all of that that all gets re- re- recorded mm-hmm. and they then send a report every month um, to both myself and the managing director that we then review at a monthly review meeting to go, well, how are we tracking? And, you know, let me tell yeah, you, that's good. Shane's, mm. he's really big on this sort mm-hmm. of uh, approach and he'll be he'll be <laughs> breathing sure. down my neck going, mm-hmm. you know, well, this has come up and this is the second time that it's come up in a month and what are we doing about it? That's not good enough, yeah. you know. I think it's really important from a, a resident's point of view, though, to put a face, you yes. know, like the fact that you go out, it's a bit like, you know, the nurse sitting on the, the bed having a chat in the afternoon she can pick up a lot of things from mm. the patient mm. um, by doing that mm. and so it's that informal chat well and, mm. and obviously part of that is an invitation to say to them look yeah. if you feel as though you're not getting heard mm. you've met me yes give here's me a my call. card yeah here's my direct number mm-hmm. give me a call yeah yeah i think uh, that's good yeah so that's part mm. of that culture so yeah. that's not a, that's not a formal feedback process but it's really trying to but i think it's a valuable that. one yeah it's yeah. trying to build it in at every level mm. you know if you've got a if you've got a routine issue, have a talk to your care about it. Perhaps they're just not understanding how you want it done. Yeah. Um, but if you're not getting that response, yes. the right response, then by all means speak to a coordinator because we can follow it up differently and people hear things differently from different individuals Mm. you know it's a bit like your parents can tell you a thousand times to do something and you don't pay the slightest attention and then one of your mates says you should do it and you go oh that's a great idea and often you go back to your parents and say oh i've just had this terrific idea and they're like oh for goodness sake it's (laughs) so that's you know and and then the next level up from that is me yes Um, well that's good so yeah Yeah, it's good for them to have that opportunity Mm. so now we're going to talk about uh, finding a provider and admin fees and all the things that go with that and we, Paul, we've, t- we've touched on some of this before, yeah, so I'm not, I'm not going to yeah. go into that in a, yep. a great lot of detail. But, but yeah, look, so there's a couple of um, relatively independent sources you can go to. There's a, there's a finder service online mm-hmm. through um, My Age Care. 
Um, but that brings us back, doesn't it, to, you know, we t- we've talked about five-star ratings and things mm. like that, you know, mm. how to, you know, like it's a minefield for mm. people to go through that process, some people. A, a lot of it's word of mouth. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, the people who probably know the best and could give the, the best independent advice are the aged care assessment service themselves. yeah. yeah. But they're uh, they're under strict yeah. uh, strict instructions not to not to give advice yeah. as such. Um, so a lot of it is word of mouth, but it is also about asking the right questions. So mm. so you know it's very much about talking to um, to any providers that you look at um, around. Well, you know, I, I think I've said before. You know, are you local? Do you actually have a local office? Yeah. Um, if I ring. Am I speaking to someone in the local office or am I speaking to someone in a call centre in Western Australia? Yes, um, yes. What are your admin fees? Because that can vary enormously. Um, what's included in the case management? Do, is, in, is case management included at all? And if it is, how's it costed? How's it priced? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if I'm self-managing, what does that mean? Mm. How much responsibility this is the complexity yeah. is immense yeah, really isn't it, isn't it? and also you know there's the other factor you know Paul you often talk about your dad and mm. what you went through there with him as well sometimes there's a time factor here as well mm. where people have got to try and get a resolution to this sort of stuff pretty quickly, quickly. Yep. and that they're thinking about that there's the emotion maybe of somebody that's gone into this state or needs some care almost instantaneously and having to be making these rational determinations as well about who what how when and, and mm. what sort of questions it's fraught and yeah. really so the, I think what you're probably saying one is you really got to get on this pretty soon and you've got to have a sort of rough idea of where you want to go ahead of time hey? you've got to anticipate well, I think this is the reason too Brendan why I'm talking about transfers because you're right often at the time that that uh, you know uh, the funding comes through mm. families are, are essentially in a bit of a crisis yeah. And so often you do have to just go, well, you know, I heard this thing and, you know, um, they're a not-for-profit organisation and, you know, my, my aunt used to donate to them and yeah. say that they were terrific up in Bendigo. I'll mm. just go with them. Correct. Mm. But this is the beauty of the system is mm. if you do that and then you find six months down the track, actually it's not really living up to expectation, you've got the option to transfer. And that's, that's where I'd be saying you do have the time to because you've got a bit of experience under your belt then you know Mm. what you like and you know what you don't like Um, so you've got the opportunity then to take a few weeks make some calls you'll get providers like like aftercare that are more than happy to come out and sit down with you face to face and step you through this is how we do this this is how we do that and then you really know what you're in for so there's some very good advice again then so basically if you have to and you are pressured you can make a decision Mm. but the good thing is that you do have a fallback position Mm. with people such as yourselves warren at aftercare australasia that will give you some options later on if you think it's important to change whatever package you might have taken out in the first place. Completely place. correct, mm-hmm. and you're not locked in. That's, mm. that's you know, people often feel as though they are. Yeah, that's it. And mm. it's not the case at all. Mm. Yeah. Um, so, so in terms of then, well, practically speaking, where do you go from there? You need to, that the process is pretty simple. You need to speak to your current provider and agree on an end date where they're going to finish their services. That's really important that you work that out because what you don't want is you don't want one service ending and then there being a week where you get nothing Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then having the new service end. Mm -hmm. Um, And you're not allowed to overlap 
the beginning and the end of one service and oh the other. That's the government rules. So you've got oh, to sort of pinpoint wow. that date pretty accurately. Mm. Some providers do insist that you give them a minimum amount of notice. So some providers say it's four weeks' notice. Most say it's two weeks' notice. Uh, again, you know, aftercare is a little bit different from that. We, we, we would say you can do it within 24 hours. We wouldn't recommend that you do it that way, but if you're really that dissatisfied that, mm. that you know, and you've got someone else lined up, you, that might suit everyone. So mm. um, it's more about us not trying to put barriers in the way um, and giving people that choice. Um, the other thing that you need, which is often where people get tripped up, is you need this thing called a referral code. Now... Oh, I know this is this is, this is yeah. a you know government bureaucracy yeah. at its yeah. finest. They they have tried to streamline it, but yeah, there's a, look there's a lot of money involved in all of this. Mm. Obviously, I think you know the, the figures are you know over twenty billion dollars a year. So so they it's a fair bit of dodge. They've got to put some constraints yeah. around it. Yeah. But this the, the dreaded referral code. Now, when you first get offered a package, you get this. Terrific letter from from the department, um, the Department of Health, saying, you know, congratulations, you've got you know, your funding's approved, mm. you've got a level two package. This is your referral code, and it's mm-hmm. on the piece of paper. Now, most people go, yeah, that's great. They they use it when they get set up, and then they either file it or throw it in the bin. Mm. Or gets you know, falls down the back of the couch, and they think, oh, I'm never going to need that again. Well, mm-hmm. funnily enough, that's the referral code that you need to be able to transfer. Like to an ID number, provider. really? Yeah, yeah. correct. Wow. Um, and if you, I mean, don't despair if you can't find it. I guess all I'm saying is, when you get it, put it in a safe, safe place. place. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Because most people don't. Most people literally, you know, they're drowning in paperwork. There's a deluge yes. of paperwork that yeah. comes through in this this assessment process, and often it gets misplaced. So to find it again, do they have to navigate their way through? You know the aged care website. Uh, you can ring my aged care. Oh, and stay on the phone for at yeah. least a day and a well, half. Well, <laughs> look, my experience. <laughs> I often get asked to help people with that process because mm-hmm. they're a bit daunted by it. And unfortunately, if they don't spell out really clearly that that that's what they need, mm. it, it just depends on who you get on the phone. You know, yeah. you get people that'll go, you know, oh yes, but yes, you can change providers, but you know, and yes, yes, you, I know, no, no, you need a referral code. You, you've got that in your letter, okay? Goodbye, you know. Oh, um, and then you get some yeah. other people that'll say, oh no, I can't give you that. And, you know, you you haven't set an end date yet. Oh. You must be, to, you know, and. How so, daunting <clears throat> must that be for some people, it, you know, it, some elderly people? Yeah, well, it's one know. of the reasons that I'll come out and often just <clears throat> call with them there on speaker and just set the scene a little bit for yeah. the, for the uh, you know, the person on the My Age Care helpline and then I'll step back and let the, the client, mm. because they have to speak to the yes, client. Yes, the I client. I can't do it on no. their behalf. <laughs> you need to prove that you are who you are, so yeah. that's the other thing. You have to have your Medicare card or some sort of government ID. But once you've got that, they'll give it to you without any dramas. Mm. Well, with without too many dramas. Mm-hmm. There's, there's still some funny things that happen. Can I tell you something? Yes. If you've got time, I'll tell you something funny that happened yes. the other day. I rang and we got through the whole process and this poor lady, had she'd already rung a week before and again they said, yes, 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 exactly what I said before. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, 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 you can transfer. You know, you, you just go ahead and do that. Goodbye. And she didn't get the code. <laughs> and oh. so I rang. We rang back together. Now, this poor lady has um, a, a level of physical disability so that it's extremely difficult for her to hold a pen. She can hold a pen just, mm. and she can just write. Um, but it's quite challenging for her. And when she said, 
um, can you just say that out loud so that my so that the, the person from aftercare can write it down for me? Mm-hmm. They went, oh no, I don't think I'm allowed to do that. And they went, we've got put on hold for five minutes while they went away and had to talk oh, to their manager. And, uh, and and they did come back and say, oh yes, I've had my manager explain. But but I had to step in at that point oh, and say. My- you can give it to this lady and she mm-hmm. can write it down, but you realise the process is going to take somewhere between five or ten minutes because it takes her about 15 seconds or so to write each number individually. And it's a ten-digit code. Oh, and so sake. you're just going to be endlessly repeating mm. it. She's asked me to write it down on mm. her behalf, but yeah. you're still, in my view, giving the code to her. I'm mm. just being the arm and the hand that holds the pen and writes it down. Anyway, we got through mm. it, but these are some of the challenges. That's you're quite annoying, um, that sort of thing. Though, oh, it, 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 you know, I know they've got to stick to certain rules. Yeah, we, we all understand that, but it goes way beyond that. It, it's a bit of the luck of the draw who you get. You know, most of the people I speak to are really lovely yeah. and really helpful mm-hmm. and knowledgeable and professional but there's a small percentage, like you know, like when you call Centrelink or any other department, that just mm. um, don't quite understand the job that they're doing yet, and mm-hmm. and you run into these silly kind of little issues. But for some of our some of you know aftercare's clients, it can just throw them completely off, and they just stop mm. at that point and yes. give up. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So so once you've got that. Happy days. You 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 contact you the the provider you've chosen to go with. You give them the referral code. They go onto the website and retrieve all of your information. They'll come out and meet with you and sign an, a new a new service agreement. You've got you've then got you've actually got four weeks to get that in place. So mm-hmm. there's not too much pressure. Actually, I think it might even be more than that. I think you might have um, eight weeks to mm-hmm. do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and the only other detail that you need to nail down. <laughs> So I've done lots of boring people to death with this. It's so convoluted. <laughs> but these are the issues people run into, is you need to actually speak to your current provider and get them to at least tell you over the phone a, a figure for what your unspent fees are. So you might recall previously I've said that if you're not using all of your fees week mm-hmm. by week for mm-hmm. your supports... They accrue. They accrue. You mm-hmm. save it up. And this becomes this amount of money that... <clears throat> transfers with you if you go from one provider to another it also um y- so it's there when you transfer from one type of should package that not, to another. should that not happen automatically though you know when you're when when whoever sees that that identification code is going to another company uh, and everything is transferred over shouldn't that just be able to no <laughs> well, you're laughing Warren. <laughs> in, in, in an ideal world yes yes now our experience is that uh, so you'll love this I'm, I'm reading from the official my aged care website document oh, here on what happens to any unspent funds okay your old provider must give you a statement outlining any unspent funds within 56 days of your 56. agreed end date okay. I wonder what and, brilliant brain came oh, yeah, up with and wait 56. for it wait for it yeah. it's better and then transfer any unspent funds to your new provider within 70 days of your agreed end date. And so if oh. you don't at least get something in email by email that gives you a ballpark figure, it's never going to be 100% accurate because there might be some invoices that are yet to be received mm. to be paid mm-hmm. as part of that process of mm. finishing up with the old provider. Mm. But if you don't at least get a ballpark, unfortunately what it means for your new provider is in two weeks' time, you might all of a sudden need a new two and a half thousand dollar wheelchair, mm. 
Mm. And they can't tell you whether you've actually got enough unspent funds saved up to pay for to it. Pay for it. Mm. And they might be having to wait for 70 days to mm. find out. Good for your cash flow. <laughs> well, and that's the thing. A lot of companies will say, well, we're not prepared to take the chance of essentially giving you an interest-free loan for $2,500 for what might be 70 days. Um, and so that's why we would recommend you get at least a, even if it's just an over-the-phone figure, mm-hmm. but, you know, because you can do that call while your new provider's with you mm-hmm. doing all the paperwork. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at least if something like that comes up, they can go, well, I, you know, I know that you had this amount, um, you know, what you're asking for is substantially less than the unspent fees, even allowing for some unexpected bills that'll be okay, you know, we'll cover mm-hmm. the cost so you're not... Wow. That's, what, that's what we like. We like the aftercare Australasia generosity, Warren. Yes, we do. Yeah, <laughs> look, I think, I think the boss will tell you that sometimes it's not that great for the bottom line, but, but, yeah. it, but if you're in the business of helping people... people but you've you can got sleep to, at night. Exactly. You've got to put their needs first Absolutely. and, uh, you know... We've done it quite a few, on quite a few occasions. It's not something I could say is official policy that we'll always do, mm-hmm. but but where we can help out, we most definitely will. And sometimes you can actually just hire the equipment in the short term yeah. and then go, well, when we work out what the figure is, yep. cool. we'll pay for it then. Good mm. thinking. Well, thank you, Warren, for informing us about all that today. Mm. And good, good luck with it. You know, In terms of everyone out there, good, yeah. good luck with that mm-hmm. process when, mm-hmm. if you decide to do it. Um, it's worthwhile for most people in the yeah. long run if they're, if they're happier in the long run. Okay. This is the H stage on RWPFM broadcasting out of the Bendigo Bank studio. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we've got a lot more indeed about ageism in the Australian society and also bikers and aged care as well. Warren Haynes, thank you very much indeed. Thanks, Warren. This is the Age Stage on RPPFM, brought to you by Aftercare Australasia and our new friends at Australian Unity. Time to introduce our next guest, Brendan. So we welcome Tim Hessel. Tim enjoyed a successful career as a human service resource executive until a company restructure saw him thrown out into the job market in his mid-50s. Oh, dear. That's when he experienced age discrimination in the workplace. So Tim decided to do something about it and he went back to university um, and undertook a PhD, which was amazing, and uh, explored why companies in Australia are not willing to recruit older workers. So welcome, Tim Hessel. How are you? I'm very well, thanks, Paula. That was a very dramatic introduction. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but Tim, it is—it's certainly. I mean, Paula basically has encapsulated pretty much what happened to you in the last ten, fifteen years, eh? Oh, closely, Brendan. Uh, I was, uh, as you said, uh, a human resource executive for about twenty odd years, uh, and then was uh, made redundant through a political restructure. Then went back into work in a different HR sort of. Uh, capacity, worked for a social, if you like, psychopath, which I didn't realise at the time, and then uh, moved into change management uh, for a a number of years using some of my skills and the like, and then as a result of the GFC, uh, found myself, uh, if you like, out of work with a major organisation, worked in contract work for a while, but found the contract work increasingly difficult to find, uh, and as a result of that, uh, I thought it was something to do with me, uh, but then I saw a number of my colleagues and other, and other people 
experiencing a similar difficulty in finding work and they're all in their 50s or, or, or late 50s. And so I thought, well, there seems to be more of a pattern about this than I first realised. And uh, rather than being a victim about it all and feeling sorry for yourself, uh, you need to do something about it. So I thought, well, I'll try and find something a little bit more objective about this and what might be going on. And so that's what's found me over the last of years uh, to undertake the PhD. So what was the common thread, Tim, do you think, from your observations uh, that running through each older Australian finding it difficult to get work? Uh, look, Paula, I, I, I came to the conclusion that it, there was a form of ageism uh, mm-hmm. that existed uh, and how that manifested itself uh, differed from organisation to organisation but the effect was the same for whatever reason. You're either uh, too experienced or you didn't have the right technical qualifications or you hadn't worked in the industry for a little time, so therefore your skills were, were no longer up to date. Whatever it was, there was always some rationale to explain why you weren't just the right fit for the, 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 the organisation at that particular time. So... Uh, however you cut it, it was just, uh, from my perspective, ageism. Could we be more cynical, Tim, and suggest perhaps there might have been a cost factor as well? You're more experienced, you maybe cost a little bit more than a younger worker? Uh, look, Brendan, uh, that's, you, you could say that. Uh, as I said, there's no research evidence to support that, and sometimes it's more your length of time in the job rather than the age that you are that dictates what you might earn. But, uh, yeah, that's often put out as a reason why uh, older workers uh, find it difficult to find employment. Uh, uh, They're far too expensive. But then again, you then go for jobs at half your salary and you say, salary's not important to me, and you still don't qualify for a job. So there's an issue... Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a reason, but I, 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 it's an excuse more than a, an ex, explanatory factor, I think, Brendan. How do the politicians react to this, the policy makers? Theoretically, you're protected by law, Tim. Yeah, theoretically, Brendan, absolutely. Uh, no, one, no one will ever uh, directly uh, talk about ageism. There's, there, are all, there are all sorts of ways that you can express... Uh, express that, as I said, uh, uh, there's the fit for the organisation, there's uh, technical skills, there are all sorts of things. So uh, if you, I think the Human uh, Com- Human Resource Commission report on uh, uh, ageing in the workplace found uh, high levels of discrimination existed and uh, a rise in complaints uh, to the Commission about ageism, but it's really difficult to prove. It's very hard to prove. Well, we have uh, the Every Age Counts campaign, of which you are part now, and Kay Patterson banging away and banging a big drum. Is she cutting through? I'd love her to be so, but I just think that the whole issue of age is relatively underexplored and under-discussed in our society at present. The issues such as gender equality, disability... uh, uh, indigenous rights, all of those issues uh, occupy a far greater importance to corporations than does age in the workplace at this stage. So unfortunately, age uh, in terms of uh, an interest in taking order, I think is way down the bottom at this stage. But 
you've got to start somewhere. So I'm, I'm all for Kay and I'm, I'm, I'm all for getting out there and advocating it. But we're coming from a long way back at this stage, Brendan. So, Tim, tell us about your findings with your PhD when you did that. What, what were the findings there? Uh, look, have we got 32 hours at all, uh, Paul? Or <laughs> of course, five of course. No, 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 look, just, just quickly, I, I, I'll summarise the, uh, the headlines. The, the, the things that I found, uh, my, my basic uh, premise was the concept of talent. Every, I think most organisations, and um, perhaps your radio station is the same, talk about the concept of talent. And every company wants the most talented people working for it. So my question was about, it seems that for an older worker, you, you can be experienced, but you can't be talented. And I was trying to work out what stops an older worker moving from one stage being regarded as a talent to no longer being regarded as talent and just become known as experienced. Mm-hmm. And so uh, lots of companies are investing a lot of money in talent management programs. So that, led, that was the, the background to it all. Mm-hmm. And, um, and under the guise of talent management and talent programs and meanings of talent, what, what emerged was the fact that, if, if you like, uh, at the point of hire and talent programs, I'm saying that... Uh, the human resource groups are essentially ageist in their in their definition of, of talent uh, and and its meaning, and they have, if you like, three criteria that seem to be really important to them. The first one is the nature of organisational fit. The second one is your potential to grow within the organisation. By grow, it means to be promoted to higher levels, and the third if you like, criteria, is the image you project, uh, project to the, the wider market or, or to other sort of uh, organisations out there. So I can pause there and, and allow you to ask any questions. I can fill a little bit more in if, that, if that's of interest, Paula. It is of interest, yes. Yeah, no, it sounds really interesting, actually. But what, what confuses me is that I know we all talk about ageism, as we do about many things, and we all and we're hopefully making our listeners aware of what it is and what it means and think. But what's changing? That's the issue, isn't it? What's anybody actually doing about it? I understand, you know, what Kay Patterson and yourself are, are out there um, campaigning about, but uh, what's changing? Well, very little at this uh, mm. this stage, Paul. And I think one of the things that uh, I'm my research is identifying is that I think it's easy to use stereotypes and negative images of older workers and blame it on individuals and say we have to focus on on changing individual attitudes. The basic premise of my research is that ageism is really baked into organisation structures and it's intrinsic to organisations and it could have existed for 30 years and it's just in the way people do their business without Mm. necessarily thinking about it. I'm saying it's more a conditioned thinking than an unconscious bias. An unconscious bias is now one of the new management fads and I think we're all saying we we can be prisoners of our unconscious biases and there may be something there but I'm saying in organisations I think there's a highly conditioned thinking and an outlook that is influencing if you like the debate around uh, 
ageism today. We're speaking on the age stage to Tim Hessel, if you're just joining us, and we're having a very interesting discussion about and exploring why companies in Australia are not willing to recruit older workers. Um, Tim, you come from a baby boomer generation, an indulged generation, if we're to believe the, uh, the, the later generations. We're a noisy generation as well. Surely we have the equipment and uh, the gravitas to change things. I, I couldn't agree with you more, Brendan. Uh, I think when I look at my parents' generation, uh, it called baby boomers, whatever you want to call us, I, I think yeah, the, the nature of work's changing. No one, uh, what, 30 years ago, we're working, we're living longer now. Uh, I think there's research out there that says if you're born in the 1990s or something, you've got about a, a 50% probability to living to 99, or if you born in the 2000s, you've got about a 50% probability of living over 100. So what we're we're failing to understand in all of this, and and I think the CSIRO have also identified this, is that one of the biggest game changers this century, and something we've never faced before, is an ageing population. Mm -hmm. By 2050, I think there'll be as many people over the age of 65 as under the age of 5. And as societies, we've never had to deal with that before. It's always been you take your place on the, if you like, the, the social escalator and 20 times up you fall off and it keeps going. But now you've got this fact that there are going to be a lot more older people around about uh, than there have ever been before. And we still don't know how an age is positioned as a problem, uh, socially and economically, rather than as an opportunity. And, and so we define careers still by ending in the 40s or 50s. But if we're living to... 100 or 85, and your superannuation runs out at some stage, what are people going to do? So to your point, I, I, I just think that uh, the baby boomers will start the conversation about this, and in perhaps 30 years' time, this conversation will be regarded as really a weird one because it's just par and parcel for the course that no-one worries about age the way that they do these days, uh, Brendan. So, so you think it's... You know, you think it's generational? You think it's going to take at least another generation to sort this one out, Tim? Oh, well, look at gender change, Brendan. It's been yes. going how long? Yes. 30 years. Mm-hmm. And, and, and talk about how slow gender change has been going on mm-hmm. uh, and stuff. So it's taken 30 years to make a minimal progress on gender. Yeah, this is generational stuff uh, as well, Brendan. It's not going to change in five years and it's not going to change in six years and governments will tick around on the edge. But this is something that's just going to take... A relentless focus, uh, and not only older people, but younger people. And, and your point about the uh, intergenerational stuff, one of the things we've really got to be careful of, but we don't position this as old versus young, because younger people get old as well, and the extent that we can help change the ground rules now makes it easier for younger people coming through. So I see this as something that's not just a short-term thing, but a, a far longer-term uh, social change program. Mm-hmm. And so where, where does this take you, Tim? What's your future? That's a really good question, Paul. I, I often have to have a glass of red wine and ponder that. But, uh, <laughs> I'll join uh, you. <laughs> yeah, well, I'd be delighted. Uh, I'd be delighted to share and have the conversation. <laughs> what, what I want to do uh, is actually use the knowledge that I've got, uh, which is now a far more specialised knowledge than I had before, and use it uh, in a social advocacy point of view, which is why being part of the Benevolent uh, Society program is really exciting. 
I hope to be able to use it uh, with businesses to and for HR groups to, in, a, in the consulting capacity because uh, living for the last couple of years off uh, of superannuation ahead of a time that I'd like to be uh, living off it means that I've got to replenish my coffers. So converting <laughs> it into some sort of financial sort of gain is, is something else that I, I'm hoping to do. But yeah, the first and foremost thing is... Uh, talking to people like the the two of you who have an interest in your your listeners have an interest in it and uh, hopefully if some other person then gets intrigued by this or excited by it and wants to join it then that's great progress and uh, that's something that's really important to me and there's the key i think to maybe the key is you've got to continually reinvent yourself no matter what your age yes yeah oh, brendan uh, you're absolutely right uh, and i guess this is a personal thing, and it's not a. It mightn't be something in, in uh, a baby boomer, but uh, I had this sense of a linear sort of life or a linear sort of career. It was just that you you started and you kept moving along until you retired, and you didn't need a plan B or thereabouts because somehow you'd always find work or thereabouts. And so, uh, the point that as an older worker, uh, you have to reinvent yourself. Uh, you have to continue to to. Make sure your skills are up to date. You have to make sure your networks are good, uh, that uh, you have a, a, a point of view, uh, that you, you look after yourself. All those things become really important, uh, I think, Brendan, as I talk to my kids now, uh, that uh, hopefully I'm a some role model. I'm in my 60s and doing something like this, and uh, my kids are in their late 20s, early 30s. I think that... Yeah, when I did uni, I thought uni would get you 30 years, but uni probably only gets you 10 years mm. if you go to uni. Mm. So, to both of you point, yes, this need for lifelong study, lifelong um, uh, skill upbuilding, uh, if you like, those, those sorts of things I think are absolutely critical, Brendan. I think that's a very good point. Mm-hmm. Well, Tim, thank you for joining us today on The Age Stage. It's been great, and we'd love to have you back again sometime. Paula, Brendan, I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you and for you reaching out to, to chat to me. I'm always happy to chat about what's going on in this field and research and hopefully we get another opportunity sometime in the future. And maybe we can invite you down here to the Bendigo Bank uh, studio, Tim, and not only that, it's a lovely part of the world and it produces some very fine wines as well. You, <laughs> me and Paula can mull over a, a very interesting future for the three of us. Oh, well... <laughs> I can get a paid ticket within an hour. Let me know. <laughs> Thanks so much for the opportunity. You're welcome. Thanks, Tim. Thank you. Bye-bye, Paula. Bye-bye, Bye. Brendan. Bye-bye. Tim Hessel, thanks for joining us today. This is The Age Stage on RPPFM. We'll take a break and back with more on the other side of it. You're tuned to RPP FM, your local radio station. This is the Age Stage, uh, sponsored by Aftercare Australasia and Australian Unity. We're coming to you live from the Bendigo Bank Studio. Welcome, everyone. Well, something a little bit closer to home now, because the Mornington branch of the Ulysses Motorcycle Club, uh, which is called the Mornington Wanderers, has uh, been going to local aged care homes for many, many years. They collect toys and items that are then donated by the residents to the aged care homes to be added to a toy run, which is run in December. Phil Matthews from the club has dropped by to tell us more, Paula. Great. And I'm delighted to say that Phil is in the studio with us. Hi, Phil. Thank you. Hi, Phil. How are you Thank you for having me. So this is, a, this is a great initiative, Ulysses Motorcycle Clubs, aged care. I'm getting this sort of 
of um, big burly guys in big black jackets and I'm thinking a little intimidating for aged care but you're shaking your head. No, we are a motorcycle social club. Right. You have to be over there 40 to join and you're a junior till you're 50. Oh, right. Loving that. So um, we don't have that many. I mean, we have some big boys in the club, but most of them are just family men, um, people that run their own businesses. um, And love motorbikes. And just we have a common interest in motorcycling. Mm -hmm. And speaking to the residents, it's amazing how many in these nursing homes had an interest in motorcycling in their younger days. And are very eager to talk to the guys about what they rode and what they ride now and and compare the difference in the machines over the years. Oh, yeah, incredible. Wow. I yeah. suppose they go way back to the, the old Norton and BSA oh, days yes. and all that oh, sort of yes. stuff and the yeah. triumphs. Yeah, back to triumphs and BSAs and... I have no no idea what language you're talking about. <laughs> well, no, about these, these, these are the old pommy bikes, the old yes. matchlesses and yeah, all those yes. sorts of stuff yep, that I okay. uh, used to, um, yeah, we... Um, well, you see, I'm old I know enough. Harleys. Yeah, you I know, know Harleys. Harleys. Well, yeah. the younger crew know the Harleys, of course, but yes. oldies like me. You see, I'd, if if the Masters are over 50 or whatever in your motorcycle yeah. club, probably, I'm probably in the Legends or the um, <laughs> Beyond <laughs> Saving Group. Well, I'm there with you, bro. Well, we, have a, we have one member who's over 80 and, wow. is, and is still riding. Wow. <laughs> That's awesome. No arthritis, obviously. Yes. Oh, yes, really? Oh, okay. He rides a three-wheeler. Okay. Uh-huh. Not a two, but yeah. he's... He's about 82, I think, or 83. And he still manages to get on and hop off and then gets his walking stick out of the back. And oh, good on him. <laughs> Love it. So yeah. basically, what's going on here, Phil? You, you guys, are, you do the toy run. What, 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 how, do, how, how does it all work? What happens? Well, the uh, Peninsula Toy Run is yeah. a, a run that starts at Frankston and finishes at Rosebud. Mm-hmm. And it's hooked in with an organisation, a Southern a Peninsula Food for All. Ah, yes. We donate to them. Um, they handle the distribution to the worthy families. We don't. I only handle the donation side and organise the run. Yep. But the nursing home, I started out with one nursing home ringing me and asking me could I possibly get some motorbikes to go down and just have a day with the residents. They put on a sausage sizzle and let the residents have a look at the bikes and uh, maybe take a couple of the more agile ones for some rides around the car park, um, which we did. <laughs> I'm wondering what sort of impact that might have had on the defibrillators, but never mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, probably probably little, didn't need the defibrillators. It's only a little car park. Yeah. Um, and I went down and visited them, and I said to them, OK, it can be a two-way street in that we can bring the bikes down, that's no drama, but I also do the Peninsula Toy Run because I organise it. And... You can, if you collect toys for the Peninsula Toy Run, for us to donate to the needy, mm-hmm. we can bring the bikes down. <laughs> oh, good deal. Good deal. Yeah. Loving the thinking. Yeah. So yeah. that's how it started, and that started at Lindhurst. How long ago was that? We did Lindhurst three years ago, but we've do, been doing Phillip Island for mm. 12 years. Yeah. Wow. Um, at our Lodge in Phillip Island started a bit. 12 years ago, by my predecessor, um, John Smollett. 
which we, many people would have known. And we, yeah, we all knew John. He yep. was a bit of a legend, wasn't he? On oh, the, yes, he, he was, was a, a legend a, in his own time. He was, he was a great man. <laughs> and, oh, he was yeah, a, And he's well remembered, of course. One of the true he's left us gentlemen now. of the world. Yeah, he's left us now, but yes. he certainly had a huge impact in yes, the city. Yes, he left us in 2013. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a good man. And I took over the toy run on John's passing. Wow. Um, and we... I try to, to keep her going in his memory. Well, you're doing very well by the sounds. And has it grown, Phil? Has it grown over the years, that it, the amount of toys it seems, donated? Yes, it grows. Well, it's very weather-orientated. Last year we had that really bad weekend. Yeah. And it just happened to be the toy run weekend. Oh, okay. Well, the numbers were down. If it's a nice sunny day, we get about 600 motorbikes. Wow. wow. If it's a pouring sure. rain day like last year, it's about 200. Mm. Yeah. So that's but the still, difference that's it makes. Still a pretty tough, yeah. tough, tough guys. Mm. Oh, yeah, but that's the difference it makes. Mm. Yeah. Um, to, but on a good, good day, yes, they get a heap down at the Rosebud because the motorcycling community is extremely generous in their giving. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Which is yeah, I know it's mm. uh, it's it's very interesting, isn't it, to see the big biker with the little soft teddy yeah. bears and stuff <laughs> yeah. like that. But it does happen. Yeah. yeah. Um, Phil, it's fantastic. Um, this year's run, when is it going to be? What, On the 1st of December. Yep. We're leaving Frankston Pier at 9.30. But they'll start to arrive about 7 o'clock. And then we're, we're out of there at half past nine. And we end up at the Rosebud Secondary College. Cue theme music, Steppenwolf here, I think, yeah. as we roar into the distance with Phil. Um, Phil, congratulations once again. So it's first of December. Frankston Pier Car Park. Yep. And we start at? Yep. The Frankston Pier Car Park. Yep. And we go down to Rosebud Secondary College, mm -hmm. where we meet up with the Sathatha Peninsula uh, Food for All. Wonderful. And that's where everything is donated. Okay. Mm -hmm. If anybody wants to get in and get involved, do they contact you? Do they contact the club? They, they can contact me. Um, my numbers, we have a, a website. website. Yep. And we also have a Facebook page. Cool. So what are they looking out for? Uh, the Wanderers? A Peninsula Toy Run. Peninsula Toy Run. Yep. Moynton Wanderers also has a Facebook page and a website, but we have a, a dedicated Peninsula Toy Run site because... The two aren't technically connected. But for this event... I'm then. the connection. Okay. In that I'm the Secretary Treasurer of the Mornington Wanderers branch of Ulysses yeah. and I'm the organiser of the Peninsula Toy Run. So I'm the connection. <laughs> Love your work. <laughs> the key man. Good on you. Thank you so much indeed. Thanks, Phil, Phil Matthews. Thank, thank you. you so much indeed. Thank you for having me. And Not anybody that wants to donate is welcome to, to contact me. They can look my a number up on either the, the website or the Facebook page, yep. mm -hmm. um, and I'm always willing to accept donations. And fantastic, thanks, Bill. Get thanks your get, get your motors started, yeah. everyone, and <laughs> yeah. get down there and uh, support a fantastic initiative here, the uh, Ulysses Motorcycle Club and the Wanderers as well, doing a great job and uh, supporting those in need down the Mornington Peninsula. Phil, thank you for coming by. Thank you for having me. Thanks, this is the Age Stage on RWP FM. And that'll just about do it for another edition of The Age Stage. Paula, thank you very much indeed. Uh, you have been listening to The Age Stage.
brought to you each and every week by Aftercare Australasia and our new friends at Australian Unity. I'd like to thank our guests today, Warren Haynes, of course, from Aftercare Australasia. Do get in touch with them if you have any questions whatsoever. We'd like to thank Tim Hassel, who, of course, has reinvented himself in his late 50s, and Phil Matthews and the crew from the Wanderers. Thank you very much indeed. Um, Paula and I will be back at the same time next week with another edition of The Age Stage. Stay safe until then.